All right. Hey, this morning we're going to continue in First Thessalonians. And uh, today's topic, um, it, it is non-discriminatory. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're in junior high or 80 years old. So age is not an issue with it. Uh, it is not an issue of gender, whether you're male or female. It's not an issue of uh, whether you're single or married. Uh, it will impact all of us. And so it's a, a topic that um, we have to walk through. All of us, I think, have battled it on fairly different levels, but kind of universal levels. And that's the topic of sexual purity. All right? Woohoo! Exciting. Here we go. I can see it. You're ready. All right? And uh, I want to start this morning by uh, in Second Timothy, because I think this is descriptive of our world right now at the moment. It says, For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And nowhere is that truer than in sexuality, right? Uh, I talked last week about my rant against Fifty Shades of Grey, but I want to suggest that that's just a symptom, right? It's, it's just a symptom of what's going on in our culture. And the question this morning is not whether there are twists, for certainly there's a lot of them. Um, we won't even enter into that debate this morning. But the question, and the question isn't even are there itching ears or false teachers. That, I think, is also true. The real question for us this morning, as we're sitting here, is how have we turned away? What have we wandered from in the area of sexual purity? Forget everybody else out there. Let's just talk in a room this size. How much battle do you think goes on in the course of a week with a group of people this size in the area of sexual purity? Just track that for a second. Track your own battle with it. And I want to suggest to you that um, we need to, to track right and well. Now Paul lays out the how and what in this passage we're going to look at today. And I, again, want to remind you, I think it's really important to remember that this is uh, considered by many the first book that Paul wrote. So we're dealing with first things here. In other words, the first time he writes, the first time he thinks about it, the first time he lays something down, these are the things that are important to him that he, that he stresses. And uh, we'll see uh, this theme throughout the rest of the New Testament. And, and if you look in the rest of the epistles that Paul wrote later, uh, he, it's, he, it's underlined and underscored. Uh, by him in the other ones. And so this is uh, one of those uh, first base ideas. And when I talk about first base, I'm using a baseball illustration, right? Seahawks, everybody shed a tear. On to the Mariners. Here we go. I moved on. I hope you can get over it. Here we go. And uh, by the way, I think the Mariners will win 97 games this year and go to the playoffs. That's my pick. All right, just let you know. All right. My true baseball friends think I'm nuts, but I like to drive them crazy by doing things like that. Um, but anyways, uh, if you play baseball, if you hit a double and you run across the pitcher's mound and go to second, what happens to you, baseball people? You are out, right? Why? You hit a double. You went to second, right? No, according to the rules of baseball, you have to go where first? First. Does it matter if you are in the minor leagues? Does it matter if you're a rookie on the Mariners this year trying to break into the... If you hit a double, where do you got to go first? Does it matter if you are Robinson Cano? I'm Robinson Cano. I'll strut to second. You know, even if Robinson Cano does it, you're what? Out, right? 
Does it matter if you are a Hall of Famer? No. No matter how many hits you get, even if you're a Hall of Fame hitter and you get close to that 3,000 mark, if you're Pete Rose and that kind of deal, all-time hits, you still have to go to first. You cannot go to second till you go to first. And that's what we're dealing with this morning is this issue of first base ideas. So probably we should pray, don't you think, as we head into this? Lord, you know this battle well, and you know it's bigger than us, and you know it's consumed and swallowed many of us. Lord, you know the struggles, you know the desire and heart to be pure, you know that many have, you know that many want to. Um, This is something that's only accomplished by your Spirit. So we're going to walk through this morning what you, by your Holy Spirit, laid out. And uh, it, it's, it's something that uh, I've worked with for years, working with uh, couples who wanted to be married and wanted to create a, a strong foundation for them. And uh, it's, a, it's a critical, I think, central piece of Scripture. And so we ask for your favor this morning. Lord, I don't want to rant or rave. That's not going to do any good. But it would be really helpful for your conviction to come and you to speak a word to us as we're going through this. And so we lift this up to you in your name and ask, this, ask your favor that way as well. Amen. All right. So let's start. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're in 1 Thessalonians and walking through and we're going to start with verses 1 through 2. And it says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you, that's a compelling, Right? That as you receive from us how you ought to walk, in other words, uh, if you want to know where you get that uh, phrase walking with God or walking with Jesus, go to Galatians chapter 6. It's right after the fruit of the Spirit and it says we keep in step with God. And the idea there is if you've ever seen a family uh, like the mall or like Green Lake or somewhere where there's always one kid who's the Energizer Bunny, right? That they're always racing out ahead and the parents, come back here, Johnny, right? That kind of kid. And then there's the dawdler. There's the, look, butterfly, you know. And come on, get up here. And the idea here is that we stay in step. Paul is saying, I want to urge you, as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, stay in step just as you're doing and that you do so more and more. In other words, he is... uh, complimenting and commending the Thessalonian church and saying, hey, you have come a long way. You learned from us and you have, you're walking with God. Keep going farther. That's the whole instruction of this passage is keep going farther with the Lord from what you first learned. Then if you go the next phrase here, it says, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. There's a lot of places in Paul's epistles where he'll say, look, I'm not sure I have the Lord's opinion on this, but I think my witness is trustworthy. Uh, I I would tell you this is what I would say about the matter. But in other places, he'll say this is not my my instruction, but comes from directly from the Lord Jesus himself. And in here, he says that this instruction comes from who? It comes from the Lord Jesus, right? Um, If you look at NIV, it says... For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. If you've got an NIV, you're looking there, you see the authority. So we would call this what? A commandment, right? This is not a great suggestion. This is not a good idea. This is not your preference. Well, I don't prefer that. Tough rocks. Not asking what you prefer, okay? This is the Word of God. And so... Paul's saying this is given, this is a commandment, 
Um, it's not his opinion. And Jesus said in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. So if you want to love Jesus, here's one way you can really do it. Here's one way where it really lines up because this is uh, an expressed commandment that Paul says comes from Jesus himself. And again, I want to say this is the authoritative, inspired word of God. Therefore, what we're about to cover is not man's opinion, but comes directly from Jesus. So we need to take it that way. So then it goes on to say this. For this is the will of God. Uh, If you're reading in NIV, it will say, this is God's will. So many people say to me, Steve, if I only knew what God really wanted me to do. Oh, if Jesus would just show me what his will was for me, boy, I would jump on that like white on rice. Really? Okay, let's do that this morning. Here it says, you want to know what God's will? This is God's will. Very clear. Lay it out, underline it, exclamation point. Here's God's will. This is what he wants. What does it go on to say? It says, write this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. There's one of those $50 Christian words, right, that we use all the time that we don't really ever know what it really means, but it sounds holy, right? (laughs) I don't know what it means, but it sounds godly, right? I hope somebody hits it someday, kind of idea. What does uh, sanctification, if you look, it's, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, uh, NIV, right? When we think of sanctification, what do you think of? Now, we, it's kind of hard to have a back and forth give and take here, but um, most people will say, well, um, does it mean you're holy? Or, and it, it does include that, right? But the big picture of sanctification, if you want the clearest it is, is up here. Sanctification simply means set apart. You are set apart from one set of purposes and set apart for another, i.e., you once walked in the world, you once lived in the world, you once loved the world. Now you are set apart for the kingdom of God. You're set apart for the purposes of Jesus. You're set apart for holiness. And so the idea there is set apart. And this illustration that Paul's going to use is how you treat your body. And basically, here's how the illustration goes. In your house, you probably have some Rubbermaid garbage cans, right? Target, Walmart, seven, eight bucks, and you fill them up with garbage and you take them out, right? And you dump them out and you wash them out and kick them back down the hallway, put them back in their spot, and uh, you go. And now if it breaks, what do you do? Run back to Target or Walmart, buy another seven or eight dollar, right? And away you go again. Also in your home, you probably have some fine china. Do you kick fine china down the hallway? No, Right? Why? Because by its very nature, why, where, how it's made, it's much more fragile, right? And the illustration here is going to be, do not treat your body like a rubber-made garbage can, but treat it like a fine piece of china. That's going to be the illustration of how to use your body, all right? And so... Um, when you talk about, by the way, one other piece in this, when you talk about Rubbermaid garbage cans and fine pieces of china, which is stronger, the Rubbermaid garbage can or the fine piece of china? The Rubbermaid garbage can, right? Which is more valuable? The fine piece of china. Therefore, by the very nature of the way that it's made, it has infinite more value than a Rubbermaid garbage can and therefore must be treated completely different than the way you treat a Rubbermaid garbage can. 
That's the illustration. So let's go on and look at this uh, as Paul lays this out. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Basically, a pagan or a heathen person is simply a person who doesn't know God, according to the way this is laid out in the New Testament. And so it's talking about uh, the idea there is often that mindset is, if you have a, a pagan mindset, is that we're just animals and we just breed like animals and we just use our bodies like animals. We're rabbits, we're donkeys, we're horses, whatever. We're in heat and we mate, right? And that's the idea behind it. Whenever the urge comes upon you, fulfill it. And what Scripture says is, no, we are created completely different than animals and we are higher than the animals and our purposes are higher than the animals. And so we should not give ourselves over to sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality used to make a lot of sense years ago, but uh, we don't really even know what that word means anymore. So let's go through that word, okay? Sexual immorality, in the King James, uh, the word was fornication, all right? In the Greek, porneus. Recognize that word? If you look at the next line down, that's where we get the word porn or pornography from. All right? That's where the term came from. And uh, in that, uh, it was talking about uh, sex, uh, illicit sexual relationships. There's two big pegs. If you want to talk about sexual immorality, there's two big pegs that it hangs on. First one is this of fornication. Fornication is having sex before you're married or having illicit sexual relationships before you're married. Right? The second one is if you're married, it's called what? Adultery. Right? So fornication is for those of us who before you're married and then adultery pertains to those. Adultery is simply what? Having sex with someone who's not your marriage partner. Right? It's much, scripture treats it much like fire. Uh, in your house, you probably have fire, and it's probably very helpful. Uh, it heats your water heater. It uh, cooks your food. And you, if you have a fireplace, my, my wife, and it gets to be winter, she parks by it all winter long. All right? It's very helpful. All right? But if that fire breaks out of that fireplace or breaks out of the stove or breaks out of the water heater, what happens? All heck breaks loose, right? Because it's incredibly destructive. And that's what Scripture is trying to warn us about is that there are incredibly destructive effects to sexual immorality in either place that it happens, either fornication or adultery. Right? So Paul is saying here, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you be set apart, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Now stop for a second. How easy is that? That's easy to read, hard to live, right? I would confess to you it's much easier at 59 than it was at 24. (laughs) Just saying, okay? But how easy is that, right? That's very different to say it versus to actually do it. And that's what we're going to look at here for a second, all right? So... The major component here, what we're talking about, if you're talking about controlling your body with holiness and honor, really the biggest sexual piece of your body is what? It's your mind up here. The one who controls or influences your mind controls or influences you. 
In other words, God's got an agenda for your body. Satan's got an agenda for your body. And they are in direct opposite. Uh, Galatians 6 says the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you cannot do what you want to do. You ever been there where you just want to do it? Right? Holy Spirit says, no, don't. Right? That's this battle that we're talking about here. Paul's encouraging the Thessalonians in this uh, over the control of the mind. Um, now, here's where um, it gets interesting because everyone says, yeah, see, Paul was repressed. Paul was mean. Paul was bitter. Paul was single. Paul was obnoxious. And we don't like Paul. I have problems with Paul. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you know, we really like the Gospels, but I have a problem with Paul. Have you ever heard that before? Right? As if somehow the very Jesus who knocked Paul off his donkey and then took Paul up into the third heaven and gave Paul revelations was a different Jesus than the Jesus who was the Jesus in the Gospels. All right? Let's, let's put an end to that right now. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Acts 15. What I want to show you is that Paul is not alone in this. I'm going to read more of the text. We couldn't fit it all on the screen, but um, I'm going to start in verse 22. Paul goes back. And uh, they're in Jerusalem, and there's the whole issue of what should be imposed on the new believers who are not Jewish. The Jewish church had not thought about the idea that pagans would respond to the, the Gentiles would respond to the gospel. That, that hadn't even occurred to them. They figured we're God's chosen, and Jesus has revealed ourselves to us. Awesome. Well, what do we do with these Gentiles? And so the early church had to make a decision. Listen to the wording of this. It says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders. I'm in Acts 15, starting in verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men. This is where Silas comes into the picture with Paul here. All right, we've talked about him before. The leading men among the brothers with the following letters. The brothers, both the apostles and elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Greetings. Since we've heard that some persons have gone out from us and have troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. What was it they were going to send? Here's what they sent. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. In other words, about four things here. It says very simple things. Keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself uh, from eating blood, from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. Of all the things that could have been laid out, these were the first four that the apostles and the elders, and it says the Holy Spirit laid out for the church in the beginning. See, it wasn't just Paul. And notice it says in there, we were all in accord with this, both the elders and apostles and the church as a whole, and the Holy Spirit gave us that instruction. So the idea that Paul made this up on his own and he's just very Victorian is totally not true at all. Because when Paul went down and told them what he was telling 
the Gentile churches, they said, not only that, we agree with that because they were laying all kinds of things on the new Gentile believers and said, here, let's, let's, what's the basics? What's the most important stuff? Stay away from idols. Stay away from eating blood that has been sacrificed to idols and sexual immorality. Right there on the top of the list. And you can wonder why then in every culture the push to go off on that goes sideways so quickly because it's a, it's a battlefield. If that's not good enough for you and you say, well, I only want Jesus, all right, then let's do Jesus. Let's go to Matthew 5. Jesus took it even further than Paul of the church did. He said this, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he goes on to say this, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of, the members of, one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body would go into hell. Jesus said, it's a serious issue. You should avoid hell at all costs. Jesus thought hell was a real place. And one of the ways he instructed us to avoid hell was to avoid sexual immorality to the point where you have to track the thoughts of your mind and bring them under the control of the Holy Spirit so that you do not run in passionate lust like the Gentiles. Just because we look good and look Christian this morning does not mean we are good or are Christian this morning. We may have a very Christian exterior and a very pagan interior. We may be lustfully bounding through life and not under the control of the Holy Spirit at all. A lot of people say, hey, I would really like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Good, you want to know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How you know you're filled with the Holy Spirit? You're full of the Holy Spirit when you obey Him. Oh. See, we like the gift side. And there's a whole gift side to the Holy Spirit. But you know why we like the gift side? Because they're God-given and we don't have to work for them. They're just there. And if the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, the gifts work even if I'm not tracking right. So the gifts tell me I'm okay even if I know I'm sinning. We don't like the idea that I'm full of the Holy Spirit if I obey Him. That's a lot harder. That's a lot trickier, right? That's like, eh. Well, did you have to go meddling with that? Thanks a lot. Take away my private space. Nobody messes with my private space. Well, I would suggest that the Holy Spirit messes with our private space. I know he's messed with mine. So I would assume he's messed with yours the same way. Okay. And uh, by the way, gals, uh, you know, when we're talking here, often this is portrayed as a guy's problem. <laughs> Not so much, ladies. Okay. Days of our lives and all that kind of stuff. We all wrestle with that. And the, the whole thing, uh, again, I, you know, the Fifty Shades of Grades, it's portrayed as one woman's fantasy that she decided to write down. It is pornea for the mind. It's story porn. And story porn is much more addictive than visual porn. What, do, what does Satan know about women that is different from men? Satan knows men are visually oriented. So how does he go after men with porn? Pictures, Right? How does he go after women with porn? Stories. It's romance. You don't understand. I loved him. Right? I felt it was true. Right? And, and that gets us all tangled up. So when we're looking here, Jesus is talking about this and saying he takes it even to the level of thought. 
All right. In terms of obedience to him. So when you look at this, you see that not only did Paul write about this, but the church in Jerusalem, the apostles and the elders in the entire church were uniting. And Jesus himself spoke on this quite a bit. In other words, it's a big deal. Has it been a big deal for you? I know it has been for me. All right. I know I have wrestled with this and I know I have worked to keep my eyes focused on Christ and I know I failed miserably sometimes and I can tell when the warfare is coming. All right? And the battle almost always is the battle for my thought life. And so I just assume that since that worked for me, that also is true for some of you. And if it's not, then your sin is different than mine. You know what your sin is? Pride. I don't battle with any of that, Pastor. Well, goody for you. <laughs> then you got a pride problem. All right, let's move on. All right, Paul goes on. And then he says that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter. If you look at uh, NIV, it says that no one wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The idea here is using them. Uh, NASB, New American Standard, says that no man transgress or defraud his brother in this matter. Another translation says don't cheat or defraud. You get the idea there? All right. So when we're taking advantage of each other sexually, it says we're cheating or defrauding. Now, we kind of know what it is to mean to be wronged or cheat or that kind of stuff. What does it mean to defraud, though? If I defraud you, how do I do that? Well, there was a whole illustration at the, this last Super Bowl. Did you hear about the people who bought the uh, package, packages down to the game and they got down there and they had the hotels and the cars and everything, but there was one little piece missing, the tickets for the game. And they paid the, the bucks. So here they are in Arizona in their hotel with their rental car with no place to go. You think a lawsuit or two will come out of that? They got defrauded. Now, in that case, that's being defrauded what? Financially. All right? But in this case, it's not talking about defrauding financially. It's talking about what? Defrauding sexually. Guys, how do we defraud gals? If a guy wants to defraud a gal, what does he say? Uh, Three words. Coming up. February 14th. What do we say? I love you. What is the girl here? Where's my ring? Right? Ladies, yes, because a gal is security oriented. She's when he says, I love you. Oh, he's going to protect me. No, he wants your body. What does he do? He's defrauding you. All right. He is taking advantage and leveraging your heart. And why? Because gals, when you give your heart, see, guys, we're kind of dorky, right? We we can love the girl. We can love our pickup truck. We can love pizza. We can love football. We can love Right? We have all kinds of loves. Just because we say we love something doesn't mean we totally give our heart to it. Gals, that's not true for you. When you love something, all in, baby. Right? And when you tell a guy you love him, here I am. What do you want? Right? And that's why God warns you can't play with that because it's a, when a guy and a gal are making out, it looks like they're doing the same thing. They're not. A guy's honor-oriented. A guy's adventure-oriented. Risk-taking. He wants adventure. Can I get the stolen cookies? The gal is security-oriented. You're going to protect me. And they think they're saying the same thing till they get married and they realize we weren't saying the same thing. Right? That's what happens in this, this whole deal. I've worked with a lot of couples, I know. Right? So if we, what happens if we cheat or defraud them? 
It says we shouldn't do that because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. As I told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Now think about avengers, right? That, that's really popular. Who are the Avengers, right? Superman, Batman, you got the X-Men, you got the Hulk, you got Captain America, old school Lone Ranger, right? Kind of thing. What does an Avenger do? There is a wrong committed. What does the Avenger do? He comes riding in or flying in or roping in or Spider-Manning in, whatever, you know, and he what? Writes the wrong. That's the whole idea of a hero or an avenger is that there's a wrong committed and they come in and they right the wrong. In this case, it's also true. But in this case, who's the avenger? If sexual sin happens, who's the avenger in that? What does this passage say? It says the Lord is the avenger. Now, here's the catch-22 for us as Christians. If we're sinning sexually, even on a mind level... The guy coming after us is the very guy we're praying to. You ever been there? You ever done that during the week and come into church and worship and went, oh, I am so dead. Right? I hope I can fake it well enough that nobody sees it on my face and I can get out of church really quick because I feel like crap right now. What just happened? God was coming after you. God was saying, I'm not happy. I'm not pleased with how you handled your body. You're treating that as if it's yours and I gave it to you. We did not fellowship well this week, Steve. Oh, and you're the pastor. Mm. Oh, that'll go well. <laughs> right? Okay. But my point is, it doesn't go well for me. Does it go any better for you sitting in the chair? No, right? We get thumped. And thank God we get thumped. Thank God we get thumped. Thank God he's a dad and he cares. I, that's what I think at this point in my life. I'm like, I'm grateful he comes after me and I'm grateful he gets me and I'm grateful he convicts me. He writes the wrong. So the very guy you're praying to is the guy who's coming after you to right the wrong. That is especially true if the person you're wronging is another believer because that is God's daughter or son that that's happening to. And God protects his children it's even worse though if it's a non-believer because we are supposed to be a witness for them a light for them and instead we're defrauding them and using them and not even telling them about christ okay again in a room this size a group how much sexual sin do you think exists in a week take it on the thought level i'm not trying to expose this i'm trying to say can you see why god is concerned why this would be important. Why he's not going to rant and rave, but he's looking for people who will listen to his voice and say, are you going to be a son or daughter that listens to me? Are you hearing me? Are you tracking with me? That's what he wants to know. All right, it gets, it gets unfortunately, worse. All right, so if we go to the next phrase in there, it says, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. If you read NIV, it says, therefore, he who rejects this instruction, uh, the in, reject is a stronger word. He who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives, his, us, gives us his Holy Spirit. In other words, it's saying something here that we really have to be aware of. This, this morning, is as true in 2.15 as it was true when Jesus walked the planet and when Paul wrote this. 
Okay? If we reject this instruction, we are not rejecting man, but who? God. Now, track this for a second with me. All of us want more of God. All of us would like God to make a move. All of God would like all of us would like God to manifest his presence among us in a fellowship, right? Worship to break out, confession and healing and fellowship and that kind of stuff. Think about this. When you're talking about this, how much rejection of God has gone on during the week in terms of us who claim to be his children? I'm not asking for guilt. I'm not asking for shame. I'm not asking to catch. I'm asking for reality. How much rejection goes on? We say we want more of the Holy Spirit, but then we do this. How well does that work in your marriage when you do that? Do we think it works any better with God when we tell the Holy Spirit, you know what, you can only come in this far because I have my private playthings and I don't want you to mess them up. I don't want you to dabble in that area. That area is not yours, Holy Spirit. That area is mine. I will not give that up. I won't. I've heard more people tell me they won't lately. And I'm like, wow. Is there any wonder that fellowships are dry? Is there any wonder the word tastes like chalk? Is there any wonder that our joy is out the window? Is there any wonder that we don't see the manifest presence of God through the Holy Spirit among us? What would kill all that? What, what kills attendance? What's taken, where, where are the people who are supposed to be sitting next to you? Well, this group's upstairs. Right? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, right? Where are the people who are supposed to be sitting next to you? What took them out? Greed of some kind, either usually financial greed or what? Sexual greed. Right? You know any Christians have fallen? You know any marriages that have fallen to sexual temptation and that kind of stuff? What kind of effect will that have on us? As, I don't care about that too much because that's kind of in the past. But right now, this minute, what kind of effect will sexual immorality have on us as a congregation in the next three to five years? Think about that. If we as a church want to be used by God, what kind of effect will sexual immorality, fornication or adultery, let's make it really clear, I'm shacking somebody and I shouldn't be shacking them even though we're not married, but I'm doing it anyways, or I'm married and I'm shacking somebody else besides my wife. That includes if you're doing it in your mind. So if you're addressing somebody in your mind here this morning, boom, right? What effect would that have? Would... Would that limit God's ability to use Northview as a body of believers? Would that limit his ability? Now, certainly God's not limited by anything. He can use anything. He used Balaam's ass, right? Hey, that's donkey for you city folks. <laughs> Let's just be clear. He used Balaam's donkey. So he can use almost anything he wants. But is that necessarily the way he wanted to work? No. Okay? And Balaam didn't agree. And Balaam, here's why that story is so powerful. Balaam didn't agree. Balaam went anyways. God had to use a donkey to speak to him to let him know an angel of the Lord was there to kill him. Balaam went on and taught Moab how to seduce the Israelites into sexual immorality. And 24,000 people died in that process. Now we say, oh, how awful, how barbaric, how, how terrible. 
How many people are dying in our culture right now due to sexual immorality? Same kind of death. It's the same stuff. And so this issue of disregarding, you say, well, I like the ESV better, Steve, because reject sounds too... I like disregarding. That's not so harsh. That's easier. I'm just disregarding God. I'm not really rejecting Him. Um, All right. Go through the stories in the Bible and look at the people who disregarded what God told them to do. How did the end come for them? Did it ever turn out well? There was a guy named Judas who disregarded what Jesus taught him for three years. How well did that go for him? Disregard is not a lighter word. That's the point I'm trying to hear. So let's ask some questions this morning in full joy and happiness of the Spirit. So let me ask straight up, how are you treating your body? Right. Uh, Pastor Jan Hedinga uh, was my mentor, and he taught me two things, and I always heard him say, there's two steering wheels the Holy Spirit's got to get a hold of. One is your privates, and the other is your tongue. If you can get a hold of privates and tongue, the Holy Spirit can steer that car wherever he wants because he said, your privates and your tongue are what? Reflections of what's going on in your mind. He said, they're symptoms, but it tells you what's going on in your mind. He said, and if you can get those under control, then God can control the whole body and steer it wherever he wants it to go. Read James 3 uh, if you want to follow that further. All right. How are you treating your body right now in 215? At whatever age you are, 18 to 80, how are you doing? Anybody talk to you about this lady lately? About this lady? That didn't go right. <laughs> how has it gone lately? Do you have anybody that you share with? Is there anybody you talk to and, and is a buddy, is your posse, guys or gals, that you sit down and say, hey, this is my battle? Does anybody know? Or do you keep it private? You don't let anybody know because you don't want anybody to know. Because if I know, I have to stop. And if it's stop, I have to give up my pet little sin that I, I pet all the time and it's so nice and it's my friend. I have news for you. There are demons behind those thoughts. And if you could see the demons that are behind those thoughts, you would not think it's your pet. You would know that it is sent straight from hell to kill you. And it hates you. It's vicious, it's vindictive, and it wants to take you completely out. And the more subtle it can do it, the better it is. A whisper can kill you every bit as quickly as a sword can. So how are you treating your body this morning? Like a Rubbermaid garbage can? Or like a fine piece of china? My job is to encourage us to treat it like a fine piece of china. Right? not like a Rubbermaid garbage can. So if you're here this morning and you are sinning sexually, let's make this really clear, you are fornicating or adulterating. That's fornication or adultery in case you said, I changed the words, I don't know what that means. I know how that works. If you're there and you are there, you are pollution city in your mind, Jesus wants you to stop. He will help you to stop. If you throw all the cards in on the table and you're willing to die to that sin, you cannot put it in your back pocket and say, I'm with you, baby. We're in. It won't work. It's not going to go. 
How are you treating? Like a rubber made garbage can or a fine piece of china? And then, what's the condition of your thought life, right? That's the hidden one. Well, I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, uh, people often say you can tell where your value is, what you hold important, by your checkbook, right? We, we don't have checkbooks anymore, so by your wallet. We don't really have wallets anymore, but by your ATM card, right? But it's also true that you can tell what you value in your free time or your slack time with your mind. In other words, what do you do when you get a break? Where does your mind go? What do you dwell on? What thoughts capture you? Notice I use the word capture there. What thoughts capture you? Is it pure and kingdom-oriented or full of trash? I am not talking as one who is an expert on this. I'm talking as a fellow traveler and journeyer on this. Right? I think we know how this has swallowed us up. I think we know how it's trying to swallow us up. I think we know what it's done to people around us. There are many who should be here who aren't here this morning. Why? By the way, if you have this struggle and you're here this morning, hats off to you. God's proud of you. You know that? You don't have to be perfect. You just have to lean into His grace. So if you have that struggle and you're here this morning, I want you to know Jesus is proud of you. Now you'd be saying, well, He wouldn't be proud if you saw what was in my mind. Good, start cleaning it up. Start cleaning it up and, and you'll start hearing Him speak again. You'll start sensing Him again. You'll start seeing the kingdom again. Because sexual immorality blinds us to the kingdom. It kills any sense we have of God's presence. Does that make sense, people? Brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Straight word? All right, then let's obey it. Let's pray. Father, we're here this morning. Now, it's one thing to be convicted. It's another thing to do something about it. We are massively good listeners in America. Good job, pastor. Way to speak it. Good word. And then we walk right out the doors and we don't follow through on anything. You know that about us. And you know our struggle with that. So, Lord, this morning what I would ask is not so much for a spirit of conviction, but a spirit of do, a spirit of responding to your grace, that wherever we are, some of us have come a long way, Lord, and we're doing really well on this. We have run the trenches, and we have cleared it, and uh, we are doing well, and we're pretty excited, and we would get great encouragement. Some of us are stuck in the middle, and we're torn, and we feel the battle raging, and uh, we're pretty sure you're going to win, but sometimes we're doubtful. And, and we can feel its breath, and sometimes it feels like it's going to swallow us. And then, Lord, some of us are just beside ourselves this morning. We don't know where to begin. We don't even know how to start. And, uh, Lord, we're swallowed by it. And, and we haven't broken. We haven't allowed you to break the chains and shackles that hold us. Lord, this morning, whatever stage we're at, would you minister with your spirit, the way a good dad does. And Lord, a good dad is not just affirming or um, consoling, but a, a good dad is firm and says, now, let's get on top of this. And a good dad instructs and a good dad rebukes. So do that this morning uh, in the way that you do it best, Lord. And we seek you for that and for the glory of your name. And we pray this. Amen.